You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. It's the Locked On Hornets podcast presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day, local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. network. We appreciate you joining us here once again, always supporting the show. It's been a while. Uh, We had him on one other time to do DeLong Division, but we got Jonathan DeLong, editor at thehive.com, joining us today as well. Jonathan, thanks for joining us again, man. How are you? Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun last time we did the DeLong division. We had a bunch of different nuggets that you would share with us. We had some really poor, not technological savvy imaging, but Doug tried his best and I appreciate him for it. I don't know if beep, we're going to bring it. <laughs> yep, that was it. Hey, I also, I just, I just want to say this. The last time that Jonathan DeLong was on this show, he was but a mere writer for AtTheHive.com. And now since being on our show, he is the editor of of at the hive.com. And, and I don't want to say that we had something to do with that, but I think we probably had something to do with that. Jonathan, you're welcome. And um, <laughs> we expect something in return for this. So uh, of course, who knows where no, you're going to go after this episode? I don't know what, I don't know what the goals are, but I, I think that you can go wherever you want after this episode. For, for sure. Not, not to tell tales out of school or anything, but uh, I was told that my my uh, appearance on the show was about 100% of the reason I got elevated. To- <laughs> we were right in thinking that then. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I don't take that as sarcasm. I think that is 100% not at true. All. all right, so let's talk about some of the things that have happened in the offseason. For the Charlotte Hornets this year, Jonathan, at, let, let's start with Summer League. Anything stand out to you in particular when watching Summer League this offseason? <clears throat> I'm going to share my less popular opinion from Summer League. I did not like how Dwayne Bacon played at all. Wow. Yeah, and you know, I remember the first game, a lot of people were excited about how he was attacking, and he seemed a lot more aggressive. But then you look at some of the numbers, Jonathan. I noticed there was one game that he went three for 12. He shot right at 40% for Summer League, right? Like, you look at the numbers, and the numbers don't suggest that they're very good at all. No, I I didn't even like the first game, just from the the simple fact that he was told – or, you know, all the talk around the summer league was for Dwayne Bacon specifically was the coaching staff wanted to see him as a playmaker and see him as a creator. And he seemed to take those directions and throw them straight out the window and just try to get buckets <laughs> against inferior competition, which doesn't help anybody. And shot at a poor clip while doing so. It's a good point. And yeah. we talked about this, Jonathan, about we were discussing the passing and who are the best passers on this team when it related to Terry Rogier and Malik Monk and putting those guys in situations to succeed and who could play make. And I think we kind of arrived at the point that Dwayne Bacon is probably the worst passer of anybody that's going to be getting serious run. And he didn't, he didn't make you think otherwise in summer league. And so it's interesting. A lot of people, I think there were some people that took Dwayne Bacon away thinking, okay, that was actually a pretty good summer league performance, but no, you look at the numbers and, they're pretty poor. Uh, do you expect Dwayne Bacon? Like, do you think it's a shoe in that he starts for regular in the regular season? Uh, I think he does just because of the there's no one no one else to do it, and he kind of he finished as a starter last season. So I don't think I think it's his job to lose. And I think on the summer league question, I think he benefited from his first game being the one where he scored a bunch of points because it's always the first thing you do that sticks in everybody's memory. Like if he struggled for three games and then had a good fourth game. I think it's like a Cody Martin situation because Cody Martin played well down the stretch in the summer league, but everybody still thinks he played terrible because he was so bad at the beginning. 
Is that really is that really Dwayne Bacon's fault that he's not a creator? I mean, I just feel like that's never been the the idea behind Dwayne Bacon. I mean, you know, not not necessarily a lockdown defender, but certainly gives you effort on that end and also likes to drive score is not really a guy that's going to, you know, have the vision or have the uh, the desire to kick the ball out. You know, when he puts his head down, he's looking to score. Now I'm worried that Dwayne Bacon is going to be forced to be in a position that is not necessarily a strength for him. I think it's not that he can't do it. I mean, if he can't do it, he can't do it. I think it was just disappointing to not see him try. That was kind of where I kind of took away from it. So just to wrap up the Dwayne Bacon conversation, how high are you you on him? I mean, was it just summer league they didn't like, or or are you just overall kind of lower on him than most Hornets fans? I think I'm overall lower on him than most people. Um, I don't think he's a great fit for what Borrego seems to want to do because he seems to want like versatility and ball movement and all that stuff. And Dwayne Bacon doesn't really seem to fit that. He's kind of a bucket getter, but I don't think he's good enough of a bucket getter to be a main piece on a good team. So Nick Batum would fit that bill a little bit more to kind of pass the ball a little bit more around than some of the other guys that they have. What do you expect from Nick Batum this season? I honestly have no idea because it's hard to tell because he was out of the rotation at the end of the year last year, but now there's open spots with Lamb and Walker gone and Park Tony Parker gone too. Uh, I think he'll be better this year without any pressure on him on a team that's supposed to be bad. Do you expect that backcourt with Malik Monk and Terry Rozier to benefit more with the Nick Batum in the lineup? Do you think that would be better suited for them or – do you think that, you know what, just put the young guys in because it's that time, even if that means Dwayne Bacon, who can't create like we just talked about? I think having someone like Nick Batum is beneficial to having young guys, especially with Terry Ozier, who's not a passer, so to speak, not a great passer. Um, young guys can't grow if they're not getting shots or if they have to manufacture shots out of the flow of a, a good offense. You know what I mean? Like, if everybody's just out there taking turns trying to get theirs, they're not really learning how to be good NBA players. So I think Nick Batum does have an important role in, you know, making sure things flow. And Terry Rozier is enough of a facsimile of what Kimball Walker was stylistically Mm -hmm. that it's not as if if things are going to fundamentally change for Nick Batum in terms of his role or positions that he's going to be on the court, right? Yeah, he's not, like, going to be – the like LeBron James type big point guard, like he's still going to be a secondary ball handler and stuff like that. Cause like you said, Terry Rozier is the same style of point guard as Kimball Walker. So I don't think it's a big adjustment for him. It's just that uh, it's Terry Rozier instead of Kimball Walker. Jonathan, you wrote in a mailbag piece that you think PJ Washington will be a household board its name by season's end and surprise a lot of people. What do you see in him that makes you feel that way? He's just like <clears throat> not bad at anything. And he's pretty good at everything. If that makes sense, like he's he's a good shooter, he's a good passer, he's a good defender. I think people kind of forgot about him since he didn't play in the summer league and he wasn't a flashy pick at the time. Like everybody wanted Bol Bol or Seku. And so I think Bobo <laughs> Um man, that was a that was an interesting thing. But uh <laughs> <laughs> the whole Bol Bol situation, not with Doug Dick. What do you mean? Um <laughs> But uh yeah, I think I think Hornets fans will like him because I think everybody's kind of lukewarm on him since he's not a flashy pick, and I think people will kind of see him how they see Miles Bridges now. Well, as like a solid. Yeah. Well, I was going to say Doug and I. So this is the conversation that Doug and I had the entire time, right? It's that 
it is a little bit of a redundant pick, right? And that's how we felt with Miles Bridges and PJ Washington. So while we might feel the same way about a Miles Bridges, right? We, we may feel that Miles Bridges is a good player now, or at least somebody that can help this team going forward. You look at PJ Washington, and then it's all about having to make these guys fit on the court at the same time. So then it's the big question of whether Miles Bridges is going to play three or whether he's going to play four. You certainly don't look at P.J. Washington, at least I don't, and think that he can play three. We're actually talking about a little bit of the small ball five from P.J. Washington. So, you know, possibly those guys can fit. But then it's also just another selection of a guy that you don't think has a whole lot of upside. Miles Bridges is kind of somebody that you felt was ready to contribute pretty much right away, but maybe the ceiling was a little limited. Same thing with P.J. Washington. Do you have a, pro- you have a problem, Jonathan, with the redundancy of the selections of Miles Bridges or P.J. Washington? Or are you just like, hey, give me all of the guys that have a ton of versatility that may don't, they may not have a high ceiling, but they've got a ton of versatility, and I just like good basketball players being on my team. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's a couple things. For one, I think they can play together plenty. Like, I think Bridges is a 3-4, three, or yeah, 3-4, and Washington's a 4-5. So they can kind of they're interchangeable. They can play together, or they can spell one another. Um, the other thing, the Hornets just need good players, and I think PJ Washington's a good player. I'm not super like the team isn't ready to compete to a point where they need to worry about how everybody fits together long term. Like there's plenty of time to work that out as the team grows and stuff like that. So yeah, just get all the good players you can get, and I like the idea of getting players that can do everything because that's what we've seen with. Washington Bridges and even Devontae Graham and other second round picks this year where they just want guys that can dribble, shoot, pass, defend, try to play like Spursy basketball. Yeah, if you were to give me a food chain of the young guys on the Hornets roster right now that you feel the best about, who would be number one, number two, and number three? Uh, Miles Bridges is number one. And number the rest of them are a little harder. Number two might be Devontae Graham, but I'm still worried about how well he over finishes. Over PJ. Devontae over traffic. PJ. I have to see PJ play first. If after PJ plays a little bit, it'll probably be Miles and PJ, then Devontae Graham, but I'm not ready to rank PJ yet because I haven't seen him play yet. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with plenty more. Support for Locked On Hornets comes from Manscaped. Jonathan, Doug, hope you guys are listening. Who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming? You may have seen them on Shark Tank. Manscaping offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. That's right. Tools for the family jewels is what I said once again. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. That's 20% at manscaped.com with promo code LOCKEDON. We'll be back with more DeLong Division next after the break. This is Locked on Hornets. So wait a minute. Do we value players that forget plays all of a sudden? I thought we were <laughs> we loved LeBron James because he remembered he could cite to you every single play from every game he's ever played in. Now all of a sudden, we like players who have no idea what happened on the previous play. I don't think you want him to play scared, right? It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Don't the Hornets, you know, they've been drafting in the 10, 11, uh, 9, 10, 11 spot for, for so many years now. Isn't the expectation for P.J. Washington or shouldn't the fair expectation for him just to be a good player, to not wash out, to not have another Frank Kaminsky type situation where you really have no idea how to utilize him or that P.J. Washington hurts you so severely on one end of the floor or with one aspect of his game that it makes him difficult to play at times. Like, if he just rises above that level, shouldn't Hornets fans be okay with that until the Hornets are in a position where they can 
draft, you know, a franchise changing mm-hmm. type of player. Yeah, I think I think people kind of forget what the average outcome of picks in that range are because they think of the exceptions like Donovan Mitchell and Kawhi Leonard no. and Clay Thompson and them. <laughs> yeah, I know. That one hurts. All of those hurt. But yeah, if you get just a good long time contributor that can give you good minutes as a starter or like a top reserve at the twelfth pick, then you did a good job. Like if if you don't Kaminsky, then you did a good job. If the Hornets are competitive in a few years, which player or players have to make a Kemba level starly? Uh, probably Malik Monk, because he's been like we talked about with players in that range that just kind of flame out. He needs to. I don't really know how to explain it any better than this. Just learn how to play basketball. Like he's very talented, no, but true. he doesn't seem. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he's got all the talent in the world, but like shot selection's bad, defensive intensity's bad, defensive awareness is bad. Like he just needs to f- figure out how to put it all together. If he can do it, he has all the talent to be a star player. Uh, are you completely out on Malik Monk, or do you still have something within you that holds on to hope for Malik? I'm like eighty five percent out on Malik Monk, just because I, it's one of those. Like I said, he has a very significant mental hurdle to clear before he can be any sort of positive contributor on the basketball court. And it's not one of those things. It's not like he just needs to fine tune a shot or fine tune mechanics or something like that. He just needs to just like be a smarter basketball player. And that doesn't just happen overnight. You know what my expectations are for this team? What I would really like to happen by the end of this season? I don't don't care if they make the playoffs. I don't care if they get a top three. I hope you don't care if they make the playoffs. I I really (laughs) hope not. (laughs) Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I just, what I'm just saying, I don't, I don't really care about what the final record is. I don't care about what the result is. Right. I really just want the Hornets to walk away from this year with one or two players that are somewhat attractive to teams in the offseason that have some kind of trade value. Because I think that ultimately, like this roster as it stands, will not lead the Hornets into any kind of long-term success. They need to have some of this young talent developed to the point where you could market that to other teams and turn that into an actual asset that could guide your team into a playoff run. Yeah. And also to other players because the Hornets, if they're going to ever become anything, you know, a significant contender, they're going to have to sign players and they need to sell players. And the fact that there's actually something here worth signing with, other than just giving team giving players an exorbitant amount of money and ending up in the same situation we're in now where we have a bunch of bloated contracts because that's how we get to keep people here. What are you most excited to see about preseason, Jonathan? What, is there a question that you think can, or at least something that you really want to notice uh, to see how we'll start off the season? Uh, I want to see how Terry Rozier and P.J. Washington play. Um, I was real disappointed that P.J. Washington didn't play in the summer league, and I don't really know much about Terry Rozier. Like, I don't... I haven't watched him play or paid much attention to him when I've seen Celtics games to really know what to know what we're in for with Terry Ozier as a starting point guard. So I'm kind of interested to see how that goes. And we get to see it in Boston for the first preseason game or against Boston. I don't know if it's here or in Boston. Yeah, yeah it's, no, in Bo- it it's in Boston. I'm, I'm interested to see how much pick and roll they run for Terry Rozier because it just mm-hmm. wasn't something – that he you just ran over and over in Boston. I mean, there was there was a lot of ISO Terry, and I just want you yeah. know you we're just so used to seeing Kimba Walker set things up from a Cody Zeller pick or from a Billy pick 
Uh, I just want to see if if that continues with Terry Rozier or if you know after after training camp the Hornets decide to redesign the offense to help facilitate what Terry does well. I don't know. I, I don't know if I would like seeing them redesign the offense around Terry Rozier. It's kind of like we talked about with Dwayne Bacon. He's just not a a good enough player to warrant that. I don't think. I hope he can buy into what the coaching staff is like what the coaching staff wants to do and that his ISO Terry tendencies were more a result of him trying to get his shots up while he could because he was kind of buried with that whole situation with Kyrie Irving and the rest of their their guards. Yeah, Did I you think, just I, like that signing as much as anybody, Jonathan? I was not a big fan of the signing. No. <laughs> well, I, I, go ahead. It was like one of those things where like Kimball Walker leaves, so obviously the next step should be, well, the Hornets are going to be bad. We have to collect assets and use cap space to take on bad contracts and stuff. And the first thing they do is give out a huge contract to a middling player, which is kind of what got us into the situation in the first place. So it kind of it made it look like the Hornets didn't know what they were doing. I think there are players that are buy-in type of players. I think Kimba was very much like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he bought into the vision that Steve Clifford sold him on how to become – a high-level NBA player, how to become an NBA all-star and ultimately uh, an all-NBA third-team type of player. He bought into that. He worked really hard at it and and achieved it. And then I think there are players like Terry Rozier and Malik Monk that have a very difficult time buying in to someone else's idea of what makes them a great player. I think Terry Rozier has a very clear understanding of what makes him a great basketball player and, and I'm just not sure that, you know, that, that he is not coming into the situation w- with any other idea except this is my team and this team is going to play to my strengths as opposed to, you know, me coming in here and helping Nick Batum become a better player or help Dwayne Bacon become a better player. I, I'm just not sure I see that being how this all plays out. Yeah, I don't know Terry personally, but he, I would definitely see the whole like I know what I know what kind of player I am and I'm not letting anybody change me that yeah I mean that just uh, the, all the evidence I have is is how he no, reacted Doug knows Terry personally this is what he knows <laughs> Terry Rozier Terry is it. a good friend of mine um <laughs> no I'm just the only evidence Call I have is, is <laughs> <T-Dog>. <laughs> um no it's uh, the only evidence I have is how he reacted to the the many changes that that happened in in Boston yeah. and and how yeah, and, and really the, the, the analysis uh, that people who watched him closely had of him, which is that, you know, Terry does Terry. Yeah, Terry's Terry. Jonathan DeLong, editor of AtTheHive.com. We appreciate it as always. Jonathan, we got to do this more frequently, man. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm down for it for sure. Bye-bye. All right, man. Again, Jonathan DeLong, AtTheHive.com. Go check him out if you can. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? Go ahead and tell it to the people. It is at JohnDeLong42 with no H, so J-O-N-D-E-L-O-N-G-4-2. And who knows where he's going to go after this episode. He was promoted to editor at thehive.com after his first time being on here. Now we'll see where he goes after a second time. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with plenty more here on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. But I have seen him go all That's the way up to number 10. That was, is there a warning? Do we I need to get trying, out of here? Okay, here's the thing. My, I don't know if you heard, but my watch went off. And I was trying to silence it. And then I accidentally hit ping the phone. And then the phone pinged, and and now here we are. <laughs> I'm doing my best, man. 
It seems like you're doing your very worst. <laughs> well, sometimes it seems like you're. I'm actively fighting you today to move. To sometimes move my best is my worst. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. How are you doing, Doug? You okay? You sad today? I'm just... Is everything all right with you? Well, I just, you know, occasionally you get homesick. I miss I miss Charlotte. I miss Uptown Charlotte. I miss all my favorite restaurants. I miss Kim. You miss Wal- scooters at all? Do you have scooters in Nashville where you are? There are scooters, but it's not as scooter-friendly of a city as Charlotte was. Charlotte, as, as many people like to... Everybody in every city likes to complain about their traffic and about the way people drive. But I, I just legitimately think that that Charlotte had okay drive that they still have okay drivers, and I felt safer scootering in Charlotte than I've ever felt scootering or biking in Nashville. Um, this this city just grew so quickly, and that I just don't think that they're ready for pedestrians. Anything that's not a two ton death machine, they're just not ready for. <laughs> So yeah, I just I'm just I'm feeling very um, nostalgic for what was, including Kemba Walker. And then I see these quotes uh, from Kemba um, about the everyone pulling out of the national team. It's like everybody with a pulse that has an All Star appearance has decided they don't want to play for the national team. So now well, Andrew Ke- Shamit pulled out of the national team, and Shea Gilgis Alexander isn't playing for Team Canada this year, and. No, and, and so this isn't this isn't a this is sort of the run up to the Olympics. So all these players, I think, could still get in on the and sort of skip the line and get in on the final team. But this is the 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 squad that they're getting together, led by uh, Greg Popovich. But listen to these quotes by Kemba Walker. This is like a once in a lifetime opportunity for a lot of us. I think a lot of us are happy that those guys pulled out because this is our chance. It's our chance to get on the big stage and showcase our talent, a chance for us to do something new. It'll be a new look team. Everybody is kind of doubting us, but I think we're hungry. I just love that, man. I love I love Kimba's whole attitude about things, uh, and, and that just fully represents what he was all about in Charlotte. He, he always relished every opportunity to get better, to show off his talents, and now he's doing it for the national team, and he's going to learn so much under Pop's tutelage. It's going to make him a much better player for the Boston Celtics, and um, damn it, I just wish he were still a member of the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> it's going to be rough. I know you and Jonathan were talking about some of the worst Bobcats games that you had ever seen before in the last time that we were going to go through this. And it's a fair question that, to not his credit, he would always bring up. Fans don't know what they want when they talk about bring on the tank because yeah. we already went through this and we did not prosper on the other side. It was brutal. We can go back to the 7-59 and 59 season. That was literally the worst season in professional basketball history as far as winning percentage goes. Some of those were the worst contests that we'd ever seen, and they were happening on a frequent basis. And you and Jonathan were talking about that before he came on today. Yeah, and we were discussing the fact that fans, when they look back on those Bobcats times, don't understand or don't remember or have forced themselves to forget how difficult it was to watch that basketball. And maybe 
they didn't even watch the basketball because it was so bad. And so, but we always get nostalgic about the past. We always get the warm and fuzzies about the past. But here's the thing we don't have an excuse to wear uh, rose colored glasses about what happened in the Bobcats era. Or, or, you know, we always like to get it about the 90s basketball, you know, the Jordan era basketball. Oh, so, it was so much more competitive. It was so much more fun to watch when Jordan and uh, Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson and everybody was kind of going at it. And But it wasn't like 90s basketball is very difficult to watch, but we have no excuse because you can go on YouTube right now and pull up one of those 90s games or you can go you could even find bobcats games and watch i dare you i dare you to go to youtube and watch an what hour did and I a do half to you? <laughs> yeah i dare you to go and watch one of those games they're very difficult to watch um and and we're we're going to do that uh, actually we're going to do the classic game rewatch but at least that'll be fun because we can talk about it, some of the old players and we can fast forward whenever it gets you know truly atrocious um but the the modern game is is fun to watch hornets when they are somewhat competitive are somewhat fun to watch and uh, i just i hope that this team doesn't reach full putrid and that they are that, that some of these young players step up, become valuable assets. That's the thing. If the Hornets are playing really terrible basketball, it means that Miles Bridges isn't isn't going to be tradable. It means that Malik Monk isn't going to be tradable. So that's not what you should want as a Hornets fan. You should want this team not being competitive to the level that they're making the playoffs, but competitive enough where some of their assets become attractive. What were some of the other games that you were referencing, by the way? Was there individual contests that you remembered? The the worst game I remember watching, uh, I was in the arena for it. It actually wasn't a Bobcats game. It was a Hornets game uh, when, the, when they came back as the Hornets. And it was against Memphis. This was November of 2014. And the final score, I kid you not, in 2014, so we're not too far away from this you know high scoring era that we live in today it was 7169 nice grizzlies <laughs> that was the final score and the hornets were it, the, the 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 thing that was the worst about it everyone knew by the middle of the third quarter that we were in for a real terrible game i mean everyone was both kimball walk kimball walker was like one of 11 from the field mike connolly had only knocked down a few shots. Uh, they were both horrible. The game was moving super slow. We were in full grit and grind mode. And the Hornets, d- d- one team should have decided to lay down. If one team would have just laid down, it probably could have opened up the game a little bit and at least been fun to watch, even if it were the Hornets that laid down. But instead, both teams decided to be equally miserable and stay in the game together. It's like when you're driving on the highway and there's only two lanes and one car, uh, you, you, you change lanes to try to pass one slow car and the car in front of you slows down a little bit. So both cars are now blocking you. There's literally no escape. That's how everyone in the arena felt. We were all being held hostage by awful, awful basketball. And I'm just glad it was over. I'm glad I survived it. No, it's it's funny. It reminds me of, and I think I tweeted this out when I was reminiscing on some old Pacers playoff basketball, and it reminds me of the Pistons and Pacers playoff series in 2004. It went six games, that series, and the winning team never scored more than 85 points. In any of those six games, 85 was the game high. The game six clincher for Detroit, 
that was 69 to 65. And that was in 2004. So a lot longer than 2014. But it just reminds me when we, you talk about the 90s era, how you're saying it wasn't very appealing to watch. We get to the 2000s where that wasn't appealing to watch. We are in a, of course, a different era where you're shooting all over the place and, and very different. But it is funny to see just go back five years where you did get some bad basketball. And man, when you get low scoring, when you get games that only have 85 points or 71 that wins the game, you're in for a brutal night. And I'm not even talking about makes or misses. I'm talking about the fact that the game has opened up. The game has been the game is now more fluid. The game is faster. It's more exciting. It's more, in my opinion, it's more athletic. It's less bruising. And and just it's more of a ballet, which to me is more interesting than I mean, I'm not a fan of MMA. I'm not a fan of boxing. I don't I don't want to see you know bodies out there you just banging up against one another and, and, and a bruising affair. I mean, I want to see, uh, I want to see strategy. I want to see tactics. I want to see, uh, the guys getting up and down the floor. I want to see exciting dunks. And, and those are tougher when, when it's a more physical game. So I just personally, I mean, I enjoy what's I'm unlike Popovich. Like I enjoy what's happening to the sport. I worry that the way things are trending, if it goes to, if it goes to the full extreme, then there may be some issues with just how how the game looks or how it feels or how repetitive it gets. So I, I think, and I think the the NBA is paying attention to that and trying to figure out sort of a middle ground between the full extreme of this open game versus the full extreme of of what it was in in the nineties. Um, but I, I like the game where it is right now. All right. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. When you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Hornets. We'll be back with you on Thursday. Until then, thanks again for joining us here on the Locked On Podcast Network.